Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I am joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Hey, y'all. All right. So what are we talking about on the podcast this week? Well, our cats have some opinions. That's true. They've been having a lot of opinions lately. They really have. They're basically our other two co-hosts at this point. They are. But other than our cat's opinions, we're actually talking about you this week. It's not going to be my TED Talks. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. This week, we are focusing on non-op-ness. We're talking about the identity of non-op. Yeah. So I guess to start off this particular episode, we should talk about what non-op means. Y'all, I got you. I got this one. I got this one. I got this one. It means no operations. Yep. Nailed it. I'm good. Acing this test, y'all. That is, that is, I guess guess that's where it comes from. Honestly, I guess looking at it like. But it's a misleading title because it can only specify some operations. You don't have to want no operations to be no non-op. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been some time since anybody found it polite to refer to bottom surgery as the operation. I'm pretty sure that that's not being. I don't think that was ever really polite parlance. It's like one of those I don't think things. that was ever a thing. I, but I think that people used to generally refer to all the surgeries involved in gender um, affirmation and or at the time sex reassignment. They used to refer to all of them as the operation. That's like, true. Like kind of like as a blanket statement, I feel like that used to be more. Yeah. Because I guess back in the day, people really wanted you to like, if you were trans, then you basically, if you were trans and in public, you basically had to have already done everything you could to conform to right your in terms of like specific surgeries too yeah like i think that it's just a very different mindset because there are that that attitude still persists in some corners of the queer spaces but mm. it's more on like expression and stuff yeah and i think people have kind of like learned that it's rude like have finally learned that it <laughs> is rude to ask about genitals but like i mean it, what was that that Laverne Cox uh documentary Disclosure I think it was Disclosure, called Disclosure yeah um but in Disclosure there were all those like oh god scenes from old talk shows where they would have trans women on and be like so do you have a penis and it's like you know so people have learned since then that it's rude to ask that question this is not an endorsement of that documentary I just want to be very clear we have an episode on that go back and find it that's yeah I don't actually remember what episode we talked about disclosure we'll link it in the show notes yeah we will there's a lot of opinions on that but it's a good it's a good um touchstone it is it is but anyway so that historical aside done with now (laughs) the term non-op does refer to an identity a transgender identity in which you don't want any operations you don't want surgeries Mm -hmm. and as Elle said that doesn't actually mean that you don't want any um you can still want some and not others but it does mean that you 
are not necessarily going to get all of the surgeries that people think a trans woman or a trans man, quote unquote, should. I think most specifically it means you're not getting bottom surgery. Yeah. I think that, I think, I mean, you can identify as whatever the fuck you want to identify as, as a general rule. Right. But I think that for the most part, if you say that you're non-op, that means people will assume that you have the genitalia associated with your assigned gender. Right. I think beyond that, it can kind of similarly go for top surgery, whether or not that's mastectomies or boob jobs. Babs, I am talking about boob jobs. (laughs) It's important. (laughs) Either way it goes, but I think it can... Sorry, my cat's distracted me. But I think it generally refers to top and bottom surgery. There is a whole range of other surgeries that people don't even necessarily know about in terms of like facial feminization surgery, I think it's the one that most immediately comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. There's like the Adam's apple stuff. Yeah, There's probably can... some things for trans men. I'm just less familiar with them. Yeah. I, I don't actually know what the process would look like for trans men. I, I don't know that there are quite as many surgeries because from what I understand- <sighs> That's probably a whole different conversation about misogyny. Probably. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, I think that the baseline reason for it is that when you start testosterone- some aspects of your bone structure can shift. I'm going to go with it's misogyny. It's almost certainly misogyny, yeah. Surgery is good for women. Whether, I mean, capitalism doesn't recognize your womanhood, but if you're going to pay several hundred thousand dollars for some surgery, you can be a woman regardless of your genitals. (laughs) Right, right. I think it's actually an important place to make a quick distinction Mm. is that there is a difference between pre-op and non-op. Right. And I think that's part of the, I think pre-op came first and non-op was also kind of spurred off of that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So pre-op, pre, you know, from the same kind of origins it's, there. Wait, wait, I got this again. I got this. It's pre-operation as in before your operation. Right. You're welcome for all of those listening at home. I know that was a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> That sense from the current fact and the historic fact, but also the current fact that it's very hard to get your hands on various surgeries. Mm. Um, they're expensive. There are historically extremely long waiting lists for them and mm-hmm. very few doctors who are able to perform them. You have to go through like psychological evaluations in some states. In some states, I think they're just also impossible. Definitely in some countries. In some countries, it's definitely impossible. I think that to my knowledge, all states in the United States there is a way to do it. Okay, fair. But that also might not be true. And also I, I think that's, I know I know that at least some states, it's like you can do it if you can prove that you are in acute psychological distress every single day and that this is the only thing that will ever fix that. Yeah. And that is not like, like, yes, you can get bottom surgery if you can jump five miles in the air. It's like it's there. There are yeah. hoops that are not actually possible to jump through because yeah. they're bars that are set by the same people that are trying to keep you from getting your bottom surgery. So even if you are in acute distress every single day, and this is the only thing that would help you, which shouldn't be the only people that ha- have access to surgery, because it's okay if you just kind of want it. That's also an acceptable thing. Yeah, I mean, um, morphological autonomy. Everyone should be able to get whatever vitamin modifications they want. 10 out of 10. But even like there are some trans people who like are in acute distress every single day because of their genital configuration or because of their chest configuration. And 
if the people who don't want you to get surgery are the people making that bar- that marker and they get to determine whether or not you've proved that you're in acute psychological distress, like, good luck. Like, yeah. that's just not... Yeah. It's not actually possible, you yeah, know? Exactly, exactly. That's where that term kind of comes from, then, I guess, is it it stems from this idea of non-op, of pre-op, and then you move into, like, non-op. Because, I mean, I think that it is important to have language for right. when you are when yes. you haven't yet gotten what you want for so that. So when would you define yourself as non-op? Because I assume it's not like you walk into a work meeting and you're like, I am a non-op trans woman. I don't, I don't assume you with words whip your dick out like that (laughs) (laughs) that's true so non-op is something that i use pretty much exclusively in situations when i am going to be dating or Mm -hmm. talking to potential romantic or sexual partners Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen a lot anymore our relationship is non-monogamous but also there's a pandemic it's not because of me it's covid y'all it's covid yeah (laughs) And even then, it's kind of, sometimes it's awkward, because I'm not, like, I'm not really a big hookup person. I kind of just, like, going on first dates. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, even then, it feels kind of weirdly personal and presumptive to yeah. have to tell someone, like, I'm not up, because then, like, it's, I'm just telling them that I have a penis. And, like, that doesn't, that's not necessarily relevant to the conversation we're about to have about D&D. But Although, also, like, it can be, because... Yeah. Unexpected penises lead to really bad things. Yeah. Yes. That's Not true. just inherently. Unexpected penises can be fine, but unexpected penises on female presenting people can lead to literal safety issues and have led to many lost lives. Yeah. Disclaimer, mostly lost lives of people who do not look like Josie's white ass. I was going to say mostly that is an issue for black trans uh, issue for and about black trans women who are the targets of a lot of... I would say that that is a danger for and black trans women. It is an issue for all of us. That's true. That's a good point. Thank you for that, Thank um, you for that correction. But I only point that out here because I think that so many people in the queer community, especially in the trans community, are like, oh my goodness, trans people are murdered at massive rates. And like the rates of the, the racial breakdown of how mm-hmm. trans people are murdered is... Even more terrifying than the statistics on how many trans people are murdered. That's I'll just leave that there. I'll you can go Google it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And like the gay panic defense is used against non-black <sighs> trans women as well. Mm-hmm. But it is look up the statistics. It's very sad. It also doesn't have to be used against black trans people because do you know how often we don't know that they were trans because the police and the news just report their murder under their dead names and their assigned births. I'm sorry, their assigned genders. Often, y'all. Often. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not not to just anyway and brush under the rug. Look into it. It's yeah, a very that's big a, problem. It's a different podcast. It's a different podcast <laughs> episode. We've talked about it on this podcast before. That's but that's its own episode. Yeah. Um, non-op as an identity, though, I think is an interesting. It's an. I think it's an interesting identity because I don't think that there's a lot. A lot of understanding in it um i know that like recently just because i wanted to you know like talk to some new people and you know have some fun conversations i opened up tinder again and i put in my profile that i'm non-op and people should feel free to ask me what that means but not be rude about it and like it's staggering how i've i've dropped wikipedia links to the trans woman page several times because people <laughs> are like what is your sex and i'm like okay that's fair but I'm not going to answer that question. Here's a link to the trans woman page. Do you have a question specific to my non-opness? And they're like, yes, I don't understand what that means. I'm like, okay, I have a dick. And they're like, okay, bye. They unmatch me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and 
and like and that's fine because like people are abysmal <laughs> people are horrible uh, but i don't even really mind that because like i don't want to i don't want to mislead them i don't want to go forth with a conversation with somebody and have them like yeah. later when we get to know each other better like drop me that would feel more hurtful and like yeah it's also extremely fair to have genital preferences like i think that yes. that is a valid thing that you know people are allowed to have and so like being not up is weirdly this like private part of my identity that the world kind of cares a lot more about than i think is reasonable yeah like i think that's i think that that is true of so much of gender identities yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I think one of the I think the other interesting thing about it is that like in the way that the world wants gender to be binary because we we on this podcast focus almost entirely on non-binary genders mm-hmm. because it's on purpose it is on purpose <laughs> that space needs to be explored more it needs to be talked about it was, more i i and for people who have started listening to this since the inception i don't even know if we talked about this in the inception of the ep- the podcast but we literally made it because I tried to find a podcast on gender and all I could find was this podcast of a trans woman and her cis wife talking about gender from their point of view. And I was like, where is the non-binaryism? <laughs> and then we made this podcast. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, there isn't enough non-binary talk in right. media. And I think that non-op falls into a weird middle ground here Yeah, where like, is non-op non-binary? What do you think as a non-binary person? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I get into a lot of hot water with this, so I'm going <laughs> to be careful. The, the overarching idea that I hold that gets me in the hot water is that far more people are non-binary than like to d- admit it right. or like to identify that way. Again, people can identify however the fuck they want. Right. I don't really care. And I think that... I wouldn't say that I've gotten into hot water with you, but I think I've had to roll back my my conceptualization of your gender as somewhat non-conforming mm-hmm. because Babs is coming to your defense. <laughs> Babs is like, my mother <laughs> is a woman, damn it. <laughs> because yeah, I don't want to erase the fact that you are a woman, right? I think right. that that's really important and like, and that's like the baseline that we have to make sure we're working from. Right. However, I think that if you want to keep your dick and you enjoy your dick then you are not a woman as society wants a woman to look which in my book puts you somewhere outside of the gender binary right i think that maybe if we think about like i'm in a very visual space right now so if we think about our like two blue and pink boxes you Mm -hmm. know they have like a big thick black border on them those are society's ideas of gender Mm -hmm. i don't think you're in the pink box however i think that when you enter the queer space, that blue and pink starts to like kind of run. So the the color kind of bleeds. So in you still have the boxes and inside the boxes is the most like vibrant pink and blue. Mm-hmm. But outside is like a whole little circle of slowly decreasing pinkness mm-hmm. and blueness. And, and like, maybe they mesh in the middle and the purple. Maybe some mingling. Yeah. Um, maybe some absence of color. Right, exactly. And then you could like, you know, we could throw a splash of purple somewhere else and like, or sorry, we could throw a splash of orange somewhere else and call that other genders and just have, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. glitter somewhere else on the page, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that you're outside of the box, but still in the pink. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe arguably in the purple because like dicks are 
society's idea of blue so like you have that piece of the blue yeah maybe what about like mauve is that the like kind of like bluish <laughs> pink color that starts yeah. to fall that way we should create colors for all of the genders based on this thing that i'm just creating right now in my brain but that's my <laughs> argument for your gender right. but i think that over the summer when i was doing a lot of my gender thinking in thinking that about your gender and in having those sorts of conversations, this also came in when you were like enjoying having a beard for a moment mm-hmm. in quarantine, things like that when you yeah. were doing a little bit more expression exploration. I think that your expression got gender nonconforming enough that I personally started to lose sight of your binary woman identity that underlies that mm-hmm. expression. Mm-hmm. And nothing about any of this can change that underlying identity, if that makes sense. Right. But I think that you have a lot of pieces of how you act and how you express your binary woman identity that, at the very least, society would not see as binary woman. (laughs) Right, right. And I I think that that is an important distinction there. And I want to speak to a couple of things you said. Yeah. So, like, first off... I do still identify as a binary woman. Right. I, I can't fathom going by any non she her pronouns unless there's a part of me that could see a particular set of noun self pronouns being really cool if the world got a lot chiller about noun self pronouns. But that's like real fast, like real fast. <laughs> but that, that's not I'm not I'm not willing to put in that emotional labor. She her feels perfectly fine to me. Mm-hmm. And I really balk at the idea of being perceived as anything other than a woman outside of like really trusted spaces because like I don't want people that I don't trust with my gender identity to see my gender as anything different from woman like fundamentally right but at the same time I think there is a lot of space for like non-binary feminine aligned identities in in my life you know what i mean i think that's something that i could definitely really get into is something along the lines of like i don't know if like demi girl would be the right identity Mm -hmm. but like a that seems like that's the identity that comes to mind yeah but like an identity that is mostly woman mostly feminine but not inherently all that right and i think that that would not just be because i have a penis it would be in part because of that but it would also be because like you said like you know this summer I grew a beard and found out that it doesn't actually bother me that much because my facial hair isn't what gives me dysphoria. It's the way other people respond to my facial hair. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like I think, I think that, I think that there's a difference between being like non-op because you have only moderate bottom dysphoria and you are terrified of surgery and or Mm -hmm. know that it wouldn't be. Which is also the fact for me. I mean, I am also terrified of surgery. (laughs) But or like, you know, it wouldn't be feasible. So you're not willing to put in the emotional labor to figuring out how you can make it happen. Mm -hmm. Like there's a difference between that and where I think you are, which is that you're non-op because you don't want this operation because you enjoy your dick. Right. Which is a very different, like there's, there's a difference between apathy about a piece of your body and actually enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it's the enjoying it. And to your point, being outside of the cis view this summer during COVID. But there's something about enjoying it that does make it somewhat, that to me touches a bit more into identity yeah. than just expression. Yeah. But of course, like you're the one to define this, right? Right. Yeah. And I want to make a quick point mm-hmm. uh, on that note too, of like, Using the word enjoy, Mm -hmm. I feel like can get misconstrued by people who suck. Because (laughs) I Nobody who sucks listen to our podcast. We have great Yeah, no, no, I know. Go ahead. Well, because because I think that there is a there's another aspect of this is there's a lot of fetishization of trans women in general. And 
there's a lot of fetishization of trans women who have penises. Mm-hmm. And stemming from that, there's a lot of this idea that if you are non-op because of some like intrinsic part of your identity that says like I actually like this part of my body, there's this idea that that's because it's per- because of some sort of like perversion that it's like an erotic part of your body. And well, I mean, penises are also an erotic part of your body. Yes. <laughs> and I was going to say one. <laughs> That is kind of true. Yeah. It, there's nothing wrong with having some degree of eroticism in your life and, you know, embracing that yes. sexuality. You should definitely that, have a degree of eroticism in your life. If you want it. Eroticism doesn't have to be sexual. That's true. You should have a degree of eroticism in your life. I think I'm willing to make that as a blanket statement. <laughs> if you have arguments against it, I you have to read Pleasure Activism that we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> but... Because people in the world care about my genitals, because mm-hmm. I am a trans woman and they give a shit about it for some reason. Right. I have this word for my for a part of my identity that means, no, I don't want surgery. It's not your business why I don't want it. Right. But because I don't want surgery and it's no one's business and I don't really feel like going into the like long discussion about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people sometimes do seem to get the impression that I have a kind of like a kinky reason for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. They don't think that's the right term. But like people misconstrue my reasoning. (laughs) That you want to be their kink. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that is also a frustrating aspect of the identity. Yeah. And I also like just on that point, everything I said about thinking that your non-opness pushes you towards kind of a non-binary expression and or adds some gender non-conforming to your identity is because I know you. I don't think that's true of every individual who is non-op. I just like, I mean, I know you, you know, decently well. I think that I am not 100% binary in the way that the world thinks of the word binary. Right. I think that my gender identity is a little bit more complicated than that. And I would... And just like non-conforming, because you can also be non-conforming and a binary woman. Yeah, true. I think. I mean, somebody might not agree with me, but I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of butch women identify as women, but are also extremely gender nonconforming. And that's a big part of their yeah. identity. Like, it's a thing that you can, like... And you- more and more cis women are using, like, they, them, because they don't identify with, like, the patriarchy. That's another episode. I, I think it's cool. I know some people have other opinions on it. <laughs> but, like... There is something to be said even for, like, cis women who are breaking out of the patriarchy or not willing to play the role that society has set out for women and mm-hmm. therefore identify in some way as some sort of gender nonconforming. Right. Even though they're conforming to a lot of their gender, but, like, maybe they don't believe in marriage or maybe mm-hmm. they want to have kids, but they want to have a stay-at-home partner. Like, things right. like that that are, especially in some parts of this country, still very non-conforming. Like, I was never raised to think that that would be non-conforming, but there are many places in this country where if you are a woman who plans to go to college and get a career and then get a spouse specifically to take care of your kids and stay home, oh boy, is that non-conforming, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? And then imagine if you have a penis, too. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that it, it sucks because the penis is so tied to our gender that it makes it overwrought as non-conforming i don't i'd like to believe that i don't attach extra value to it i just think that it is another drop in the pool of things that i know about you that are not right. perfectly conforming to womanhood as this country wants womanhood to exist right right and the one distinction that i have been belaboring on making is that pleasure and enjoyment 
very good. I'm not disparaging that. I'm not disparaging anybody. We don't disparage pleasure in this household. We do Mm -hmm. not. But there's also specifically euphoria Mm. that can surround genitals. I mean, genital dysphoria is a big part of the trans experience. And euphoria is the other side of that coin and is an also equally valid and extremely important part of the trans experience that nobody talks about. Arguably <laughs> uh, the one that we should define transness by, euphoria, mm-hmm. not dysphoria, just saying. Yeah, I agree with that. And I wouldn't necessarily say that I get like euphoria surrounding my genitals, but I also definitely don't get dysphoria. Right. And like I think that there is, that's an evaluation that I think a lot of people need to make because I think, I know that when I first came out, there was this big drive of like, eventually you have to do this in order to be valid. And I was kind of convinced of that for a long time, even Mm -hmm. though I didn't really have genital dysphoria. And I was like, well, I guess I have to do that eventually. And what eventually led me to identify as non-op was that that just, I didn't like that idea. I I don't like that that is an expectation and I don't like the thought of having to do that. Right. And I think that that is a place that like, that should just be valid for people and we should move our society in a direction in which I can just be a woman who doesn't want to have bottom surgery. That yeah. should be okay. I personally also am a little bit less binary for a lot of reasons, include that and that is part of it. But like the identity of non-op is not itself inherently non-binary. Yeah. Yes. And people should not feel pressured to make that change if it's not something that will actually improve their quality of life. Yes. I will point out that I think another reason that I that all of this rings as more non-binary to me is also the what the story you just described of starting your gender journey and then being like, I guess I have to do these things and then being like, wait, I don't think I want to do those things is an age-old non-binary gender journey That's story. Fair. Like yeah. that, not to like reclaim that for my mm-hmm. side of the field or anything, but I mean, <laughs> that is like the story of non-binary mm-hmm. people because historically and still to this day culturally and legally in some places – there is not a path for I want to be in between. Microdosing is still really not well-researched, mm-hmm. but microdosing only recently was something you could ask for at some mm-hmm. hormone replacement doctors. Microdosing being taking very small amounts of tea so that you get very minor changes. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything similar with estrogen. I know that some people only take tea blockers. Right. So like, but those sorts of things have only existed i mean people have been doing those sorts of things for a long time but they've Mm -hmm. only existed in the medical community very recently and for a long time legally and medically and culturally if you were gonna find acceptance at being gender non-conforming it was only as a binary transition yeah and so there are lots of stories of like my ancestors like my the people that came before me in the non-binary community who assumed that they had to be binary trans and like, I mean, spent varying amounts of time living as the opposite binary gender before finally being like, wait, yeah. wait, this isn't it either. And then like doing pieces as detransitioning or just um, socially detransitioning a bit and rolling it back to a middle ground that made them more happy. Mm-hmm. That is a big part of the non-binary history and like and like the non-binary traumatic history too because like the idea of like finally figuring out that you're not the gender that you were assigned and then everybody's like okay well then i guess you're the other gender and you're like wait that feels better probably but like not but not right not right (laughs) and and i think that and and you said that you don't want to reclaim me for your side of the field and i like 
I don't think that there's really two sides on the field, obviously. No, there aren't. It, it was a joke. <laughs> I know, I know. But like, I, and I think that that is kind of part of this is that we just, we're so rigid with how we define our genders. And yeah. we're, we... Because we have to be in order to be seen. I mean, I think that's, I, I think that's one of the lessons from what I was just saying about like my, my, my cultural ancestors here is like, you gotta be. If you want any amount of, of acceptance, be that legal name changes, be that legal gender marker changes, be that um, medical interventions of any type, be that even protections at work um, for people being required to call you your name and your pronouns and let you into the right bathroom and stuff. If you want any of Mm -hmm. that protection, you got to be on this track. And I mean, what is it? Like freaking four states have an X gender marker legally. Oh, there's so few that have an X gender marker (laughs) legally. And and then there are so many that you have to have had surgery to change your gender markers or to change your name right so like or you get married, have I guess, to but get like, on this boat or like you don't the like there's no one foot on the boat one foot off the boat so like also there's i don't know i don't have the the the, the deets on this but there's also a lot of like queer community spaces and like queer advocacy spaces that are now being like ah shit we can't only support like male to female trans people and female to male trans people we have to like talk about just trans people like people are changing their language and that's only just now happening yeah and it's happening in very small spurts so i think that that also plays into why your story rings a little bit outside the binary to me because it does it just like plays into this and not that like because it plays into this it has to be non-binary. I'm just saying this is my fallacy. Mm-hmm. Like it rings of this like age-old non-binary tale. <laughs> right. And like I said, I do think that there are aspects of my identity that are somewhat more non-binary. And right. I think that's something that I would like to explore in the future. Yeah. But like also fundamentally, I'm a woman. Right. Like at my core. That's that's what I feel. And also like we don't have to define your womanhood by society's standards. Like that's something I keep saying is that you don't fit into society's ideal like little box of a woman. Mm-hmm. But like so the fuck what? Yeah, <laughs> like that's... that is just not these are all labels. They are all words that we've made up to make us feel good and in my like my opinion on queer labels is always if they don't make you feel good or help you find community, then who the fuck cares? Like yeah that like the community piece is the big one like sometimes like i sometimes identify as trans online because like that helps me find community that i couldn't find otherwise even though like trans doesn't make me feel good i don't identify that way Mm -hmm. but like people get really stressed about finding the right labels for themselves and i'm like look Mm -hmm. (laughs) if it doesn't make you feel good or help you find your people right it really doesn't matter and woman makes me feel good and helps me find other women right and like and who the fuck cares about that itty bitty box? Nobody actually fits into the itty bitty box of what society wants a woman to be, except for highly traumatized and stressed out women. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Like, it takes it takes all the work to fit into that box. Yeah. Been there, done that. Not fun. Don't suggest it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess in summary then, <laughs> non-op is not inherently non-binary, nope. although you might identify as some shade of non-binary because, you know... The world. It's cool. It's cool. We have the better flag. That's all I'm saying. I will say that. I like our flag. But. (laughs) (laughs) But you might identify as non binary as part of your non op identity, or you might not. 
I mean, that and that's is, cool. And that's cool. Also, um, literally, only you can come up with your labels. It's not inherently a sex thing, but it's kind of also a sex thing. It's kind of also a sex thing. I mean, I like mean, genitals are kind of a sex thing. Yeah, but that's okay because people can just have sex things about them. It's fine. Yeah, breed pleasure activism. <laughs> AJ Marie Brown, if you don't know somehow from this podcast, <laughs> but that is what I was referring to. AJ Marie Brown's pleasure activism is a oh. book that you should read. Also, read everything else that they've ever written. They're phenomenal. Yes, that's true. AMB is really great. We we quote. Anyway, that's gonna be that's how we have to end all of our podcasts. Is just. It, by the way, have you heard of this amazing person? Their name is AMB. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so uh, non-op is an identity, which means that you do not want uh, any particular surgeries. Although I will say, we mentioned earlier that you can still want some surgeries. You can pick and choose your surgeries. You can pick and choose your surgeries. I do still kind of want a boob job eventually. Right. I just think it'd be fun. I think, I think it'd be, be neat. neat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that is where we're going to wrap it up for this week on Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode, and I apologize for our cats running around throughout all of it and making a ton of noise. There's no way I'm going to be able to edit all that out. So You know what? They're part of this family. They are part of this conversation. It's <laughs> true. All right, so. Babs uh, has opinions. <laughs> As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon.